Welcome to Practical Christian Living. There's so much confusion that people who are in the world go, I don't know, how do we know? When you tell them I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a Christian, why don't you come to church with me? They say, how do we know that what you believe is right? Because there's so much confusion out there. The real way is blasphemed. Satan effectively makes noise that blocks people from coming into the kingdom of God. These last days are filled with false teachers and false doctrine that deny the deity of Jesus. The passage we're studying today out of 2 Peter tells us that many will follow these dangerous doctrines because the enemy has created such a cloud of confusion around the truth of the gospel. It is heartbreaking and it should be a wake-up call for those of us who love and follow Christ to keep our eyes on Jesus and on the purity of His Word so that others can see His consistency and truth in our lives and come to know it. With part two of our message out of 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. The Bible is a matter of what God said and us finding out what it said. So when someone brings you something, a message that is different than what was brought to you, when was that said? Galatians chapter one. If somebody comes to you teaching anything different than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. If an angel even appears to you teaching something different than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. I like to quote Greg Laurie here. He says, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. We're going to find it in the pages of Scripture. And so he says in verse 1 that there, will all, there were also false prophets among the people, as even there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They do not stand up and say, I'm bringing you a false teaching. They do it secretly. The Bible says that Satan appears as an angel of light how much more his ministers. You can't tell that someone is a false teacher by looking at them. They don't wear dark glasses every time they teach. Not since Jim Jones anyway, they don't do it. Before that, they might have done it. Jim Jones might have done it. But they don't put on the garb and the look of a false teacher. They put on the garb of someone who is genuine, someone who is sincere. They even quote scripture. They even misquote scripture. Don't forget that Satan knows the Bible and that he can misquote it. He did it to Jesus. He said, well, the Bible says that, that God will hold you up in all of your ways, lest you dash your foot against a stone or to hold you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. But he left out the part where it says in all of your ways. And Jesus said, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan quoted scripture. So just because somebody says, the Bible says, take time to look it up. Take time to look it up in its context and to see whether or not there's something in Scripture that speaks against it. For example, there's the heresy that God wants you rich. The Bible says that in the last days, the church will pile up teachers who will tickle their ears. That means that we're going to like people who tell us God just wants you to have money. God wants good things for you. You're never going to have to struggle or suffer, or have any kind of difficulties. There's only going to be good things for you. God wants you rich. And you say, what a coincidence. I want to be rich. And God wants me rich. I like this. And they use a passage. They may quote 
well, third, you know, third, third John, verse one, I think it's verse one or verse two, says that above all things, I would that you would prosper and be in good health. And you go, well, there it is. Above all things, above love, above uh, following after the Lord, above faithfulness, above purity, above all things, God wants us to prosper above everything. But then when you go back and read it in context, it's, it's John writing to his friend Gaius and it's his greeting. He says, my beloved Gaius, above all things, I would that you would prosper and be in good health. So it's John writing to a friend saying above everything else, I want you to prosper. It's like when you see somebody for a long time, you go, man, I hope things are well with you. I hope above everything that you're prospering and everything is good. It had nothing to do with him saying, God said above all things, I would that you would prosper. In fact, we learned before that God said above all things, do you remember it, first Peter? Above all things have a fervent love for one another. Above everything else, have a fervent love for one another. Not above everything, be rich. When I was 19 years old was the first time that I was exposed to that heresy. The guy said that God wanted me to have a Cadillac. I didn't really want a Cadillac. I was 19 years old, I didn't want one. Then he said, God wanted me to have a Corvette. And I said, bingo. <laughs> That's amazing. God wants me to have a Corvette because I want to have a Corvette too. God wanted me to live in a two-story house and God wanted me to be rich. I got in my Vega and I was driving home. <laughs> it's true. And on the way, I, uh, I started thinking, I mean, I was excited about it. Everybody was. Everybody in the church was excited. This guy was a dynamic speaker and it was exciting. But on the way home, I just felt like something wasn't right. You ever had that feeling? When I got home, I, I looked up 1 Timothy chapter 6. I think the Holy Spirit brought it to me. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bring back the word to you. And I believe the Holy Spirit did. It says, if somebody's teaching godliness as a means of financial gain, get away from them. But godliness with contentment is great gain. When you and I are godly and we're content, oh, there's great gain to it. But those who teach godliness as a means of financial gain, get away from them. And so they can quote scripture. And there's many more scriptures that they quote. I mean, I've heard that on that particular teaching that God wants you rich. Well, look, if you invite Jesus into your life, you're going to get gold. Look what happened to Mary and Joseph. As soon as Jesus was born, they had Jesus and wise men brought him gold, brought him, brought him gifts. As soon as you get Jesus in your life, people are going to give you gold. I mean, I've heard it all misused, misquoted. Paul prayed that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. And God said, my grace is sufficient to you. Anybody who reads it, it's evident that God is saying the thorn is going to remain in your flesh and my grace is going to be sufficient for you. They twist that scripture and they say, well, God said my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Peter, why are you asking me to get rid of the thorn in your flesh? I've already given you the grace that you need to overcome it. It's what they say it says. It's not what it says. He was saying that God had given him that thorn in the flesh so that he would be humble, lest he would be puffed up in the position that God had given him. And so there's a misquoting of scripture and we need to be careful. Just because somebody quotes the Bible doesn't mean they're a true teacher. They secretly bring destructive heresies. Why are they destructive? Because they're, they're blocking people from the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ, I've already said this, is so amazing that people, when they hear it, would come to Christ. But they want to get in the way. Satan wants to get in the way so that you are no longer effective at bringing that truth. And there, there are people, and imagine the individual who stands in the way maybe because of their own covetousness, maybe because of their desire for power in a certain organization and teaches a doctrine that deceives people and stops them from entering into heaven. Imagine 
the destruction that that individual will receive. I heard Chuck Smith say on many, many occasions, I wouldn't want to be the false teacher in the day of judgment. And we would often name them by names. He would often give the name of the false teacher and then say, I wouldn't want to be this guy on the day of judgment. Look what it says in the rest of verse one. It says they secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, some people teach heresies for 30 and 40 years. They aren't destroyed. But God's saying the destruction is on the way. And when it happens, it will be swift. Remember to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. If there's anything God is, it is patient. Don't think because God doesn't move right away that you're okay. Someone says, I've been teaching uh, heresies for 20 years and God hasn't struck me dead yet. Well, don't count on that because God's gracious and God's good. And God may be giving you room to repent because even a heretic could repent and find Christ and turn to him. And note that it says they even deny the Lord. It says secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. One of the things about false teachers is that they even come to the point. It doesn't mean they all deny the Lord. It means they'll even come to the point of denying Jesus. I think of the, the Mormon church. They want to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints now. And they've gone on a campaign as of late to put out as much teaching as they can about what they believe so that you can't find what they believe that's not biblical. So that you'll be looking for, well, you know, what do they believe about? Or if you're talking to a, a Mormon, you'll say, do you believe that Jesus is God? Yeah, we believe Jesus is God. Do you believe that if you receive him into your life, you'll be born again? Yeah, we believe if you receive Jesus in your life, you'll be born again. Do you believe, you'll try anything you can think of to ask them if they believe it and they'll tell you that they do. But what they won't do is come out and tell you what they believe that's weird. They won't tell you that they believe that God used to be a man and that he ascended to the place of God and that he lives on a planet somewhere in the universe. They got a, a planet close to some star that they call and that he lives there. He's called Father God and he lives there with Mother God and has sex with her to have spiritual babies to populate the earth. That they won't tell you. And you say, well, do you believe Jesus is God? And they'll say, yes, we believe that he's God. And you say, well, so do we. But they don't uniquely believe that Jesus is God. In other words, they believe that when you die, you could have your own planet and several wives, by the way, have sex with them throughout eternity and populate your own planet with spiritual babies. That's what they believe. But they won't tell you that that's what they believe. They don't believe that Jesus is uniquely God. The Bible says... In the Old Testament, God said, I am God and there is no one like me. I am God and there is no other like me. The Bible says the Lord our God is one God. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we're told that he is unique and that there is no one like him so that they even deny Jesus. They deny him uniquely as God. They'll say, oh, we believe Jesus created the heavens and the earth, but they believe that you can go create heavens and earth one day. The Jehovah Witnesses, on the other hand, deny the deity of Jesus. And it's interesting. They might, even, they might even lie to you about it. They have been taught to stand at the door and tell you when you say, well, do you believe in receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, we believe in receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You believe that Jesus created the heavens and the earth? Yes, we believe Jesus created the heavens and the earth. You believe that he's God? N uh, no. They might even tell you, well, we kind of, well, no, we don't. 
And then when you begin to look at their scriptures, they've actually changed verses, claiming that they have the authority to be able to change the verses when they don't. And they deny the very deity of Jesus. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Colossians one tells us everything was created by him, for him and through him. Everything was created for him and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so they deny the deity of Jesus. In first Corinthians, it says that they will come teaching a different Jesus, someone different. They even deny the Lord. And then it says that their destruction is swift. Verse two, it says, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Many will follow it. There'll be large groups. When we think of the groups of false teachings, even within the church, when we think of the cults that are out there that are connected, when you even think of Islam, it's got its roots back in Christianity and Judaism. All of it has been a break off from it. There would come many who would say that they are Christ's and many who would follow after them. And we've seen it take place. And because of that, the way is, is blasphemed. That is, there's so much confusion that people who are in the world go, I don't know, how do we know? When you tell them I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a Christian, why don't you come to church with me? They say, how do we know that what you believe is right? Because there's so much confusion out there. The real way is blasphemed. Satan effectively makes noise that blocks people from coming into the kingdom of God. In the um, early 90s, in fact, it was, I think, 1990, I went to Bulgaria. The Iron Curtain had just come down. And Sofia, Bulgaria, was the, it's the capital of Bulgaria, and it was the headquarters for the KGB. They were one oppressed people when the Iron uh, Curtain came down. And we were able to go into churches and preach the message of the gospel for the first time in 40 years. They'd gone through rituals. They'd taken communion. They'd gone to church. But no one could stand up and tell them about the love of Christ and the work on the cross. I went into a church and there were really just a bunch of older ladies who were there. They were all dressed dark and they all had like dark scarfs on. Very much like you would think a Bulgarian, an older Bulgarian woman would look like. And as I began to, it was almost all women, by the way, in this church service. And as I began to teach about Christ and the love of Christ and the sacrifice and the gift, it was like, you and I, to some degree, are inoculated to the message of the gospel. We've heard it. We know it. It doesn't really strike us. But they hadn't heard it, and they didn't know it. And when they learned what the cross was, something that was precious to them in their religion, but could not be talked about because of communism, when they heard of the message of the cross, they, the women began to cry. As I was teaching, the tears just came. A little bit later on, a couple days later, I went to a high school and for the first time was able to talk about Christ in that high school in 40 years. No one had been able to do it under communism for 40 years. This is high school girls, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. As I talked about the cross and the sacrifice and the love of Christ, again, those high school girls began to cry and began to weep. It was like it just struck them. You could stand on a street corner and you could start talking about Jesus. You'd gather like 150 people. They would just, it was like downtown Sophia. They'd come around you. And then you'd ask through an interpreter, how many of you want to give your life to Christ? And they'd stand there and raise their hands out on the streets. They were so open to the gospel. A couple years later, I went back. Now there would only be 10 people that would gather on a street corner. No longer would people cry when you would go in and tell them about the message of the gospel. But what also happened in Bulgaria, and I'm sure it happened all throughout the, the, the old USSR, and that is that the Mormons went in. The Jehovah's Witnesses went in. The faith teaching, the, the you're going to be rich teaching went in. 
And all of a sudden they saw all of this noise and it effectively caused them to go, eh, it's just another one of these guys. How were they going to know? How were they going to see? How were they going to know that I was different than anybody else that they had been seeing? How would they know that I had the truth? Because all of that was out there. That's Satan's ploy is to create such noise that people would believe it. And the way of the truth, look at it again in verse two, in the very end there, because of whom the way of the truth is blasphemed. Many will believe their lies and the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And then it gives their motive. There's a, there's a demonic motive, but there's a motive for the individual. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness, they, they want what you have. In the, the bottom line is it's about money. That's the bottom line. It's about what they can get from you. When Paul went to the church of Corinth, Paul worked making tents. And he said, not that I didn't deserve to be paid. He said, I did. But I wasn't going to let you think that I was taking anything from you. He wanted, he wanted them to know that he came for them, to minister to them. When a person is teaching heresies, it's an individual that's trying to draw people to himself. Not always just for the money, but because he wants what you've got. He wants the power. He wants the authority over your life. Oftentimes, heresies are accompanied with an abuse of, of money, with an abuse of power, with an abuse of position, telling people what they can do, lording over people. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 that those who pastored the church among not to do it for greediness, not to lord over the people, but to do it eagerly and willingly and to do it by example is what God wanted. But there are all kinds of people that will do it just for money. In the middle of the 80s, it was very evident that there were organizations and churches and television evangelists who were just in it for the money. They would use the whole time that they had on TV to talk about the money. Then at the end, they would say, we're going to have to close our doors if you don't give to this organization, which I would always think, well, just close them already. All you're doing is asking for money anyway. And when a lot of these guys, it was revealed that they were in sin, living in sin, it wasn't a surprise to us. It wasn't a shock because all they were about was money. It's the reason that we didn't pass an offering plate when we came because people were so weary of church. They were leery. They'd go in and if you talked about money, they were like, oh, here we go. Because that's all that they saw represented on TV. So we didn't pass an offering plate for that reason. Things have kind of changed a little bit now. It's not, it's not wrong to take an offering. It's not wrong to pass an offering plate. It's not wrong for an organization to come and put on a, a show or a program or a concert and then to come and ask for money to support what they do, give you information about it. But beware of manipulation. Beware when they start manipulating you. Beware when they start saying, God told me someone here is going to give $1,000. <laughs> or one organization that I went to read one letter about a girl who had watched their program on TV and, and didn't commit suicide because of it. And then read another suicide letter of a girl who killed herself. And then at the end said, if you give to us today, they had passed a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket. If, we, if you give to us today, then you're voting for the girl who, who didn't commit suicide. But if you choose to leave your money in your wallet today, then you're voting for the girl who did commit suicide. My oldest son was with me. He was about 10 at the time. And I had taken some money out to give in the offering. And I put it back in my pocket. And he said, are you voting for the other girl? He really, he bought into it. I wonder how many other people bought into it as well. All they were doing at that point was manipulating. And if you've got to use manipulation to get people to support what you're doing, then there's a problem. Identify it. See it. Be wise about it. It's covetousness. 
They, they want something for themselves. And so it says, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. It's on its way. Again, there's twice that he said that. He said, there's going to be many teachers. They're going to deceive many and your destruction's on its way. And if you're deceiving many, you're doing it for covetous reasons because you want what they've got and God's dealing with you even now. What he's saying to false teachers and if there is someone who's teaching just to gain from people, you've got a, some kind of a ministry or some kind of a foundation or something just to make money, repent from it now. You're messing around with something you don't want to mess around with. Your destruction is already sent. Your destruction is already slumbering. But here's the good news. And that is that you can repent and you can say, I'm sorry, forgive me. You can go in, begin to study what the truth is in the word of God and even perhaps even have God call you into a position where you're used. I'm not saying that's going to happen because it's up to the spirit what he does and what he leads and who he gifts. But you can repent. And even if you do repent, have God use you for that which is real and that which is true. For you and me, and this is going to wrap it up. For you and me, we need to have discernment. We need to put what people say to the test and not be so gullible. Just because someone looks good, just because they sound good, just because they're kind when they say things. Satan appears as an angel of light. How much more as ministers? Just because they say things in a good way, in a kind way. Don't say, you know, I, I, I listened to them and I got this from them. How could they be bad? Check out what they say. And if somebody says someone is teaching a heresy, and there's a lot of people that can be tagged as heresies. There's a, there's a lot of blogs today that will tag individuals as heresies. Check it out and see if it's really true. Sometimes they'll take things out of context. You can easily take something out of context and say someone is saying a heresy when they're not. Take your time, be diligent to check it out, and don't follow someone that is teaching lies. Don't follow someone that's teaching heresies. Just have discernment. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, you have tested the false prophets and found them to be liars. That's what we need to do. Test the false prophets. And again, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good bet. If somebody's upset that you're checking out what they say, if someone's upset because you question what they teach, that's a pretty good sign that something's up, that there's a problem. Because anybody that's worth their salt when it comes to teaching the Bible is willing to say, go ahead, look into the scriptures. Because that's what we're pointing to. We're not pointing to the teachings of an individual. We're pointing to the teachings that God gave us so that our lives can be enriched in him. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we take time to hear your word. We thank you that you've revealed to us that there would be false teachers. In fact, many false teachers, many who would say that they are Jesus and many who would follow after them. And when we consider worldwide, those who are following a different Christ, a different Messiah, we realize that Jesus wasn't kidding. And that even in the church, there are many who are coming with deceptive words. They're secretly bringing their deceptions. And Lord, we pray that we would have wisdom. We want to, we don't want to be, we don't want to lack compassion. We don't want to lack love. We want to believe. We want to receive your word with joy. But we want to know what you really say. And we want to know the power of what your word is and how it can really transform our lives. And so we we take your word and we use it as our foundation. And we pray that you would give us discernment that we would not believe those heresies. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.